everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest podcast, Striker Talks. Few companies in the medical device industry touch the entire spectrum of healthcare like Striker. From accident scenes to ERs, from ORs to patient rooms, Striker delivers the supplies, tools, and devices used to provide patients with the highest quality of care. In this podcast, we'll talk with the company's leaders to gain a better understanding of how innovation, new technologies, and teamwork will further Striker's mission. Let's go. Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Striker Talks podcast. Our guest today is Kate Stewart. She is Vice President and General Manager of Striker's ENT business. We'll talk with Kate about how she found her way into mental devices, actually through sort of a patient experience, and then uh, how her career at Striker led her to Europe, to San Francisco, and now Minnesota, where she leads the uh, ENT operation. We'll talk about the critical areas in which ENT is focused and where they see an opportunity for growth and the importance of Striker's women's network. Well, before we begin this episode of Striker Talks, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Boston Microfabrication. I'm talking with John Kowola, CEO of Boston Microfabrication. John, tell us what BMF does. BMF is an additive manufacturing company. It was started in 2017. And we started this company to address uh, a problem and an opportunity that we see out there in the market for companies that typically make parts that require very high tolerance. And, and when, I, when I talk about high tolerance, I mean plus or minus you know, tens of microns. These can be larger parts, but they tend to be smaller parts in general, parts that are sort of on the millimeter scale. This is in medical device. This is in electronics. This is in uh, photonics and optics. And 3D printing has been around for 30 years, but there hasn't really been a technology to date that can effectively prototype at that scale. You know, more interestingly, uh, companies are looking to, th- to think beyond prototyping and look at additive manufacturing as an alternative to what they're using today for for manufacturing. So that's really what we're all about. And, uh, you know, we're out there, we commercialized the technology, started selling uh, to uh, getting systems in the field, making parts for customers uh, in early 2020. We'll hear more from John Koala a little later in the podcast. If you'd like to find out more information about BMF, go to its website, bmf3d.com. Now let's begin this episode of Striker Talks in our interview with Kate Stewart. Vice President and General Manager of ENT at Stryker. Well, Kate Stewart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excited to learn about your, your background in, into medtech and uh, also about the ENT space. Uh, this is not an area of Stryker that I've given much attention to, to be honest with you. And uh, I know you had the great ac- acquisition of Atelis a few years ago, but uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. But first, let's start on, on your story. What led you to the medical device industry? Well, Tom, it was serendipitous, really. I didn't even know about the industry until I needed it. Uh, As a patient myself, it was a neurosurgeon who I crossed paths with that guided me to Stryker. At the time, I was working as a physiotherapist. Growing up, I always wanted to, uh, I always wanted my career to be about caregiving. Mm -hmm. And when I started in med tech, I realized that I could still be as excited about helping people working for Stryker as I could as a healthcare professional. And I've really never looked back. I think I got lucky, Tom. And by accident, I fell into this dynamic, innovative industry that just like it did for me, changes people's lives. 
I'm just curious to follow up on that sort of introduction to the medical device industry. Did the doctor sort of demonstrate or show tools or just shine a light on the existence of the industry? Because I had this conversation with someone yesterday. A lot of people are touched by the medical devices throughout their lives, but they really don't know that there's this industry and they don't know what these companies are and they don't know this whole world exists. So it's a, it's kind of an interesting point of origin for you. Right. And I had a fairly long recovery after some health concerns. And when I was ready to go back to work, my previous job as a uh, physiotherapist, I just didn't feel like I was ready to go back to at the time. And so my neurosurgeon actually suggested working for a healthcare company like Stryker. He had worked with Stryker in, in various different capacities and spoke very highly of the company. That's how I ended up applying for a job here. Interesting. So yeah, let's let's talk about how you entered the industry or or joined Striker because I'm sure there's people who are listening who, you know, have considered a career in this space and would like to know sort of what's a good way to, to get in. So how did the application to, to Striker work? Did you just hear about an opening or did you just reach out? It was a pretty rigorous process to go through, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, I made it through the interview process and I started my career as a sales rep at Striker in Sydney, Australia, which you can probably guess is where I'm from. I started in the trauma division, actually, so oh, okay. very different to where I am now. But it was an incredible business to start with. I have such a great degree of respect for our reps that work so so closely with their customers to really make sure that the patients at the time of most need have what they need. And it was really an incredible start to my career at Striker. When did you feel like you had a sense that you wanted to be in a leadership position? Was that early on or, or did you just keep moving up and moving up and say, I, hey, I can, I can get there? You know, I, I didn't always know I wanted to be in leadership. I think it was when our company started really celebrating and giving visibility to women across our company that really spurred my ambition on. And suddenly I found myself really, I guess, aiming higher in my career and, you know, as I started to work with people around me and see people succeed around me and how much energy I got from building trust and building relationships and collaborating, I really started to realize that leadership and, and fostering an environment where all of those things could help people succeed was something that would really inspire me and, and really get me excited. So I did, definitely didn't start that way, but I think it took some role models to show what it could look like. And it took some experiences that helped me understand what a rewarding profession it can be. What was it like moving up to the ranks in Australia and New Zealand or in Australia, but covering Australia and, and, and New Zealand, you got to the position of group marketing manager, if I'm, if I'm reading your LinkedIn profile correctly. What's it like operating from a country out literally a world away from where the, H, the HQ is? You know, at the time, as I said, I was a sales rep, moved through various different commercial roles. And it wasn't, I guess, until I got into marketing where I realized that was a real thing. As we had people who were developing products and getting feedback from customers into what's important, thinking about innovations for the future, and just how important it was for us, despite the fact that we may have been, you know, half a world away, how important it still is for our customers in, in countries right across the world to give their input into future innovation. And so it became very clear to me early on how incredibly important relationships are and how much of a building a network is when you're living in a country outside of the, the headquarters. Sure. And from there, you went on to uh, Managing Director of Europe for Neurosurgery, NT, and I'm not going to try to say cranio, cranio, 
How do you say that? Cranium maxillofacial. <laughs> My goodness. I, I've always seen it. I'm like, oh, no, I have to say it. Thank <laughs> we you can for, call it CMF for sure. There you go. CMF works. <laughs> so you were in the Netherlands for that, in Amsterdam. How did that opportunity come come to you? And uh, sort of what went into your thought process of, of leaving Australia, I guess, presumably for the first time as part of your career? It was actually the second time. I had okay. worked in London for a year prior to working for Stryker. So it was the second time, but first time certainly to Europe. I'll tell you, Tom, a personal value of mine is something that my parents instilled in me a long time ago, that life should be about experiences, not things. My career has, has reflected that. When you talk about my experience moving over to Europe, what I've always tried to really think about, or it's been my practice to really focus on experiences rather than titles. And this has allowed me to work on things that are really important to me. So we talked about the various commercial roles in Australia and what an incredible beginning to my career in medtech that was. But when I moved to Amsterdam and led one of our European businesses, that was through a time of significant transformation. And I knew that not only would our family grow personally by taking on that experience, but professionally, certainly that would be a moment in my career that would really help me learn and grow and become a better leader through the amount of transformation that we had to lead through. Amazing. So you, you went from there to, well, you were managing director of Europe. You mentioned that until 2018. Then you went to, to San Francisco, where you were senior director of sales for North America for CMF. We'll just say CMF. What was that move like? And, and were you intent upon trying something new on another continent? Or was it more just a professional opportunity to pursue and you would have gone wherever, wherever it took you? It was a bit of both. Somebody called me a couple of weeks ago, a global go-getter, Tom, and I think I'm going to own that. I think I'm going to own that. I, I, I'll use that. You are a global go-getter. We'll take a quick break from our conversation with Kate Stewart to bring back our sponsor, BMF. Once again, I'm visiting with John Kowola, the CEO. John, what makes BMF's approach unique? So 3D printing has been around for 30 years, and there's a number of different uh, sort of core technologies that uh, have been developed from extrusion to, to photopolymers, to metals, to powders. We're different, really, uh, than anything that exists on the market today. We've taken a, a general concept that's used with some other manufacturers, and we're using a photopolymer process, but we've added a number of different components and features. One is a high-precision lens. Two is a very highly controlled XYZ movement because people care about resolution, but they also care very much about accuracy and precision. And that's what really makes us different from what's available on the market today. That's great. And final question, John, where does this all fit into medical devices? Because we're addressing needs in the marketplace for high precision, accuracy, Again, that falls into a bunch of different vertical markets, but me medical device is very much an area that is looking to miniaturize, whether that's uh, drug delivery devices, whether that's monitoring devices. These are all areas that medical device manufacturers have been chasing for years to be able to get things smaller, to be able to miniaturize. Things like uh, sensors and uh, diagnostic devices are all getting smaller. Lenses are getting smaller. But what's, what is challenging is often the packaging and the, the, the plastic uh, components on the polymers that sort of house those, those components. So what we're finding is a, re a real need for addressing that drive to miniaturization. A very good example is endoscope heads. So that sort of the tip of an endoscope, typically it's a very complex, small part with uh, holes and features on both sides of the part. Uh, challenging to mold, expensive to mold, 
Uh, endoscope heads are a very good example of something that's also a consumable item, typically use it once for procedure. So that's very, you know, well within the reach of what's capable of that additive manufacturing. So we have a number of different uh, companies, you know, looking at this and saying, one, it's ideal to prototype, but two, to really looking for this as an alternative to current uh, manufacturing methods, which is primarily injection molding, again, is expensive um, and time-consuming, and 3D printing is a nice, could, could potentially be a nice alternative. All right. Thanks again to John Koala and BMF for sponsoring this podcast. Again, go to bmf3d.com for more information. Somebody called me a couple of weeks ago, a global go-getter, Tom, and I think I'm going <laughs> to own that. I think I'm going to own that. I, I, I'll use that. You are a global go-getter. <laughs> but I, I do think my move to the US was first and foremost, a great opportunity to develop in my career. But I had also really looked forward to the opportunity of continuing to work with the CMF team who I'd had a lot to do with throughout my career, both in Australia and, and in Europe. And so it was an exciting opportunity for me to do. Fast forward a year, I moved in the beginning of 2019. The first year was all about learning the healthcare system, learning the customers, learning the team. And then of course, March 2020 happened and all of a sudden I didn't, my leadership experience was not really about leading in a a different country. It was more about leading through a really difficult time and leading through adversity. And I can tell you, as we all did, I learned an incredible amount during that time, but it certainly looked different to what I thought it was going to be when I first moved here. No, I, I can certainly bet that. What are some of the lessons you did learn during that time? I think one of the most important things that I learned during that time, and honestly, Tom, I, I learned this during my time in Europe as well. So I guess it kind of consolidated it. But what I really learned was how important resilience is as a leader. Mm-hmm. So working internationally is not easy, nor is leading through a pandemic. But let me define resilience here. Resilience in my mind is not resistance. It's not building a fort around yourself. Resilience is embracing adaptability and and agility. And my experiences of working in different parts of the globe and and certainly of leading through that pandemic, I guess really helped create a reserve (laughs) of resilience, of that adaptability and that agility. And again, fast forward, when I think about now, the times that we're in with incredible shifts in the labor market, along with some really significant pressures in our economy, the resilience that I was able to build throughout those different career experiences is something that's probably more important for me as a leader than ever really right now. We seem to be waiting for things to, we being just all of us, things to get back to quote unquote normal. And we keep, I think, being mildly shocked when they don't, when this isn't the same as it was two years ago, and this isn't the same as it was three years ago. And I think we're all have to gonna come to grasp that we're not gonna ever get back to maybe that level of stability again. Curious as to whether your move from continent to continent sort of set you up for that that sort of thing, because you didn't really have a normal. You just kind of kept having to learn about new normals. I think that's correct. What's been important for me to know is that no matter what adversity we're going through, putting our people and customers first has to be at the forefront of all of our decisions. And I think as a leader, as I've consistently kept that as my foundation, whether it be through moving or through some of the challenges that we're all facing right now, I think that kind of gives a bit of grounding to what's important. When I think about some of the adversity that I've seen other leaders lead through as well, what is remarkable to me 
is how leaders who are successful always make people feel like things are going to be okay. And I've tried to really embrace that, that despite the fact that we may have very difficult decisions to make right now, or that it may feel very unsettled, as you mentioned, helping people to feel like things are going to be okay in the long run is so incredibly important for us as leaders. Absolutely. I want to get into ENT in a moment, but uh, I see also you're president of the Striker Women's Network, and I'd like to understand that organization and that history a bit, if you don't mind. I talked to your CEO, Kevin Lobo, in 2020 uh, after the, the murder of George Floyd, and many companies, including Stryker, were going through an internal assessment of what we need to do to improve equity and to reach out to all of our employees. He had made the point that they'd realized they didn't really have an organization for employees of Asian descent, and they've corrected that. Did the Women's Network, did it pre-exist that sort of internal look? Can you give me a little bit of history on the, on the Women's Network and, and what it's able to do? Yeah, the, so the Strikers Women's Network is actually our largest and our oldest employee okay. resource group. So it started 12 years ago. Oh, Right. And it's now grown to over 7,500 members globally. Its main focus is the advancement of women. And we really focus on development, engagement, and networking, bringing a community together to make sure that females feel like not only is this a great place for them to work, but also a place for them to belong. In that role, I feel incredibly privileged to have taken on the opportunity to lead that role. And it was really my opportunity to give back to a community that for many years had helped me to not only believe in myself, but had encouraged me to be myself. And so authentic leadership being such an important part of my leadership style, I really did learn that through the community that empowered me to really understand how important that is. So fast forward, I'm very passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think I really did learn that passion or, or really build that passion during my time in Europe and so from the minute I left Australia eight years ago, not a day goes by when I don't feel different to most people around me, which hmm. might be a different way for us to, a different lens for us to think about diversity through. But what I became very aware of is when other people may feel different or when other people may not feel like they are included. And so I, I'm very passionate about making sure everyone has a voice and making sure this feels like a place for people to belong, whether that be through Strikers Women's Network or our other ERGs that we have at Striker. One thing I will comment on is we're incredibly lucky to have a CEO who's so committed to that. Mm -hmm. And he's been committed to that since the day he started. And that is felt right throughout our organization our Strikers Women's Network has a meeting with top leaders across the organization every single year. And Kevin Lobo always makes it a very important thing for him to, to attend and to spend time with leaders within Strikers Women's Network. And he's heavily involved in that ERG. So I do think that as that has grown to such an incredibly large and impactful organization within Striker, that has a lot to do with Kevin's leadership, his leadership team, and, and the board that are so committed to DE&I at Striker. Yeah, no, he certainly has done a great deal in the industry as well. And now that you mentioned the 12-year mark, I think that coincides with his uh, arriving at, at, at Striker's CEO. So it's a, about that time, I think. So they're almost matched. So that's interesting. All right, great. Well, as, as president of the Striker Women's Network, anything you're trying to implement or looking forward to or anything you can share? We're very focused on making sure that we have the right processes in place and the right culture to support diverse representation on things like panels, Thank uh, you. hiring decisions, 
many more I'm, I'm sure you've talked through, but we're, we're very focused there. We're also very focused on ideas on how we can build female talents, efforts around self-advocacy so that we know that successful women own their achievements, ask for opportunities and really have the courage to speak up. And self-advocacy is such an important skill set. So as a women's network, we're very focused on helping build female skills around that across the organization. And then belonging, we've talked about making sure that this is a community where females feel like they can thrive here at Stryker. That's great. I'll make sure I reach out to you when I'm building our next agenda for uh, for device talks. So it's great to to have those panels well represent everyone in the industry. As they should. <laughs> right. So let, let's focus on, on ENT. You became vice president and general manager May 2021. How did that opportunity come your way? At the time, I had been very interested to continue to accelerate my career again, in opportunities that would help not only me learn and grow, but that I could make a significant difference. And the opportunity came up to move to Minnesota to work in the ENT business. I had worked with the ENT portfolio prior to the acquisition of Intellis when I worked in Europe, but the opportunity came up to move to Minnesota. And I will tell you what I love about Minnesota is that it is one of the most innovative regions in the world. This Mm. is a region known for one of the greatest, the world's greatest concentration of health technology companies and to contribute to the growth of an ecosystem of world leading companies in the health industry is really very exciting to me and really gets me back to the core of why I joined MedTech, which, which we just talked about specifically around the ENT specialty. ENT serves many large patient population needs. And so it is hearing loss, sinus and allergy diseases, swallowing Mm -hmm. and speech, sleep apnea, head and neck cancers, such a vast range of patient conditions that ENT physicians treat. And for me, that not only showed an incredible opportunity, but it also showed an incredible opportunity for me to be involved in something that was making a real difference for our customers and their patients with such a broad range of patients that we could help to make a difference for. No, it's ENT is certainly a, a fascinating and growing specialty. So what areas, I'm looking at your, your product portfolio page right now, what are the top three areas that your products target within ENT? Can I pick four? What's that? Can oh, I sure. Yes. Four? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can go to at, five. It's, it's, we got all the time in the world. It's a podcast. Great. Well, at Stryker, we are primarily focused right now on four of the main disease states in ENT. So that is chronic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, nasal airway obstruction, and eustachian tube dysfunction. So the four areas. And what makes these disease states so extremely interesting to Stryker is that all of these areas have significant unmet needs. So I'll give you a couple of examples here, Tom. 35 million people suffer from chronic sinusitis, but currently only 400,000 are treated. Hmm. Similarly, if you think about 20 million patients are suffering from chronic rhinitis and another 20 million from nasal airway obstruction. And these figures really just suggest the tremendous scale of opportunity at Stryker ENT. So the vast majority of these patients that that I've just talked to with these conditions are are currently medically managed. And our goal here at Stryker is to bridge that gaps from untreated and undertreated patients with surgical treatment options. And as I just said a moment ago, we just have a tremendous opportunity to make a real difference in the quality of life of, of the millions of people that these numbers represent. That's great. 
I see you, you've expanded the portfolio this prior to your joining ENT through the acquisition of Intellis in, in 2018. What was the significance of that acquisition and how does that Intellis, how do the Intellis properties sort of, how have they expanded your, your portfolio? So if I think about the history of Stryker in ENT, the ENT surgical specialty has a very fascinating history. It's one of the oldest in the United States. And Stryker ENT also has a very fascinating history. So we have sold ENT devices in different business units dating right back to the first microdebrider device for endoscopic sinus surgery. So the acquisition of Intellis then in 2018 really provided the infrastructure to expand into a standalone business unit, which ultimately has enabled us to build a reputation as a leader in ENT surgical devices. And and you might know, Tom, this is a big part of Striker's offense. We identify great opportunities to make healthcare better. We create a customer focus with a dedicated business unit and work to understand our customers' needs and, and deliver solutions better than any of our competitors, which is really the story of Intellis for Stryker. So Intellis was at the forefront of serving the transition of care for many ENT physicians to balloon sinuplasty, which is an alternative treatment to traditional sinus surgery in a less invasive procedure that could be performed in all sites of service, including and especially in office-based treatment. Mm -hmm. So this really expanded the site of care that Stryker and our ENT business was thinking about. How has the location of care being delivered for ENT changed in the last couple of years? Is it has it traditionally been done in a doctor's office? Is it done in a in a more intensive clinical setting? And and have those locations changed over the past couple of years? Over the past decade, there has been a migration for the hospital and ASC to the office in ENT surgery, certainly. This was led by the development of balloon sinuplasty, which we just talked about. What's important to know is the migration was not a cannibalization of hospital-based procedures, but expansion into untreated or undertreated patient populations, which I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and we do see this trend continuing as patients and referring physicians become more aware of minimally invasive treatments. But as importantly, we also still see growth in the hospitals and ASCs as more patients seek treatment for sinus disease with increasing referrals overall. Interesting. So what does the future look like for, for ENT? You've mentioned a couple of times the number of uh, untreated patients out there. How does Stryker go after those patients and provide the products that make treating those patients achievable or possible or making those patients reachable? Strategically, our goal over a five-year period was through subsequent acquisitions and internal development to create a full-service portfolio of treatment offers for sinus disease since the acquisition of Intellis. And we've focused on really developing evidence-based supported technologies that support our customers to deliver excellent outcomes, of course, and enhanced experiences for their patients across all disease states in sinus surgery and, as I mentioned, across all sites of care. So that includes the office, the hospital operating room, and and the ASC. There still remains tremendous growth opportunity in sinus and rhinology when we think about our future, and we will absolutely continue to innovate and support our customers in that space. Otology also continues to be an adjacent and very interesting area for Stryker's ENT business. So Tom, these are the disease states associated with managing hearing loss, Mm -hmm. uh, ear infections, and tumors within the ear. 
We have just launched the Audion Eustachian Tube Dilation System, which is a, a technology specifically designed to treat a disease state that affects almost 10 million patients in the US alone. And if you think about, you know, a feeling of fullness in your ears, sometimes after, maybe after a plane flight, you can't equalize your ears. Mm-hmm. So this is a really important condition. It is also really at the intersection between sinus and otology, and it has been an important step for us to continue to expand into otology. Fascinating. And the one final product I wanted to, to just talk about is your uh, your navigation system. Is it Scopus? And what is it? what kind of uh, benefits does it provide? So our Scopus navigation system came through another acquisition and is a very important technology. Navigation is a standard of care within ENT surgery and for Stryker uh, in ENT, we offer solutions to really incorporate navigation into ENT procedures. And that's from standard FES procedures to more complex revision sinus surgeries, uh, and also uh, in procedures like balloon sinuplasty that we've talked about. And the idea behind our navigation systems is that they deliver intraoperative guidance and control to meet the demands of today's operating room with ultimately the goal of better patient outcomes. And so that is a very important part, not only of our portfolio as we think about ENT at Stryker right now, but certainly will be into the future as well. Fantastic. All right, great. Well, it's, it's wonderful to get an overview of Stryker's ENT program and to, and to hear about your globetrotting uh, career to brought you there to lead the ENT group. Thanks for spending time with us today and joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It was great to spend time together. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much to Boston Microfabrication for sponsoring this episode of Striker Talks. Thank you, Kate Stewart, for taking the time to tell us your story. And thank you, of course, for joining us on this episode and for listening. Please do subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network on any major podcast application. You can also find us on devicetalks.com and you can find the podcast on the striker.com website. So we're out there. Come look for us. And uh, please do tell your friends, share this episode on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, connect with me there when you do share it. I am also on Twitter at MedTechTom. Once again, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. We'll have another one coming up for you in just a couple of weeks. We'll keep these great Striker stories coming your way. 